0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm joe dorowski and this week we're discussing joe banks and Dee slash angelica slash patricia from joe versus the volcano and joining us for the discussion is first-time guest merlin salisbury welcome merlin
1: hey thanks for having me
0: very glad to have you on merlin and i have to say i believe you are in the number one slot for coolest name we've ever had as a guest on the <laughs> podcast
1: well i am a wizard you know
0: (laughs) the name merlin salisbury just has a wonderful lyricism to it that i've always enjoyed i've known uh you since junior high is how far back we go? is that right junior high i was trying to think back when our first stage production we co-starred in was and i think it had to be junior high something in junior high uh
1: the clumsy custard horror show is my earliest memory
0: uh that's that's what where i was going then we we got to be uh, gangsters together and kiss me, Kate. Oh, good uh, times! Classic. Uh, but I guess we're not here to reminisce about our, you know, storied career as actors. We're here to talk about Joe versus the Volcano, which is real quick for any listeners who are not familiar. This is a 1990 film starring Tom Hanks as Joe and Meg Ryan as Dee Dee slash Angelica slash Patricia. It's a screwball absurdist comedy about a man trying to live life to the fullest after being diagnosed with a terminal illness. It was written and directed by John Patrick uh, Shanley and released on March 9th, 1990. Merlin, do you remember how you first came to this film?
1: I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I do remember thinking that it wasn't that good the first time I saw it. <laughs> um, until uh, many years later, uh, when right before I left on my uh, Mormon mission, my dad went and I went to a movie, and it was the Dollar Film. I don't remember what movie we saw, but one of the uh, trivia quotes before the movie started had a quote from Tom Hanks saying, I've made a lot of movies in my life, and of them, three or four are pretty good. And that was uh, 19, no, that was 2001. And my dad and I thought, okay, of all his movies, which ones is he talking about? And we thought, you know, Forrest Gump, Philadelphia. And my dad said, Joe versus the Volcano. I said, I don't think that makes Tom Hanks top three or four. He says, of course it does. So we watched the movie, whatever it was, don't remember, go home and watch this movie again. And he went through it point by point to tell me how this was Tom Hanks' greatest movie and the most underappreciated movie of all time.
0: <laughs> that is, that's a bold tank. Tom, uh, T- Tom Hanks has, you know a lot of good movies in his uh in his oeuvre so to say right. that this is the greatest that's got to like perk up the ears, right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know he convinced me and um many many years later um when i tried to start my own uh movie watching podcast that uh I, you know failed miserably i you know we we recorded maybe 10 episodes and I just could not get around to editing them. I didn't love it, but we, we tried to do Joe versus the volcano twice. And I think I changed a few people's minds. And this (laughs) has always been
0: a, a dream for me to talk about this movie. I could talk about this movie forever. So I knew of it as for its reputation as a flop when it came out, but one that had a really ardent fan base, like people who liked it really Mm -hmm. loved it but the majority of people seem to not like it and looking at like critics reviews i've got it in the trivia it's actually you know it's it's fresh but barely fresh on rotten tomatoes i think it's 61 percent, and you gotta be clear 60 on rotten tomatoes to be considered fresh um and in in just like googling joe versus the volcano like some of the first things that come up was like defenses of this film because people want everyone to love it. And they know most people don't <laughs> Seemed to be like a, a lot of the tone. And I had not watched the film until preparing for this podcast. I had seen clips of it um, in a couple different classes. I, I remember um, Mr. Kreiman, our theater teacher showed us a clip from this. He, he really liked Tom Hanks uh, and his performances. And he showed us a clip from this. And I, I don't remember, remember that. What it. clip did he show us? I, I my memory and I maybe I'm conflating something memories are tricky things and slippery uh was that he showed us the bits of him on the the montage of of him on the ocean uh okay. on the on the raft uh and then I also remember seeing another clip of this in one of my film classes in in college but I never actually sat and watched it I'd seen uh Sleepless in Seattle and uh You've Got Mail and I knew that this was the opening chapter of the trilogy of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan but uh-huh. I just had never gotten around to seeing it and I watched it today and I've got to say, I'm kind of in the love it category as far as, uh, that split, uh, uh, <laughs> like, it really is. Uh, and I, I think I can understand why it maybe had mixed reactions, particularly this feels like one that if it wasn't marketed correctly and people had expectations for maybe like a, a more traditional rom-com, Uh, like those generic expectations or genre expectations do matter for how people receive a a story. And I I know marketing has ruined more than one film, Uh, not because the film itself wasn't was bad, but because it didn't tell audiences what to expect or, or um, it felt like it made audiences feel like they weren't given what they were told to expect. Uh, And that can cause a, a negative reaction sometimes. So I'm wondering if marketing is one reason why this had such a mixed reaction initially.
1: Well, I try to think of like where everybody... Came, all these artists come together to create this thing, and they are all each in their particular arc of where they're coming from. John Patrick Shanley just gone off of Moonstruck and it was a smash hit and kind of got carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And this was the movie he wanted to make. And uh, Tom Hanks is... You know, just starting the peak of his, like, just in the change of his career, Meg Ryan is just off of uh, When Harry Met Sally and pretty close to the beginning of her peak of her career. So all these people come together and you think it's supposed to be this great thing. If you compare When Harry Met Sally to this movie, it doesn't hold up to the critics and you compare it to Moonstruck and it doesn't hold up to the critics and you compare this to big and it's just not quite as good to the critics so it kind of hides in this area of not quite as good as we hoped
0: it would be but
1: i think it's uh, i think it's just undervalued
0: yeah and then also there's the fact that the you know the next two tom hanks meg ryan collaborations are critical and popular hits and i think yes. that makes this one just feel like again by comparison the odd duck. And it also is totally an odd duck compared to Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail.
1: It's very uh, it's it's a very odd duck. And I think, you know, um the Waponis are kind of a <laughs> problematic background <laughs> and definitely could not be made these days. You know, um you got Abe Vagoda and Nathan Lane as Jewish druid Polynesians um it's it doesn't quite work out but um there's some funny bits in it you know and you kind of need it so they put in this really weird backstory to kind of make it sound funny and the rest of us just go just like Abe Vagoda just facepalm going I can't believe we're doing this (laughs)
0: uh yeah and then they all also like like again talking about how this is positioned in their various careers um John Patrick Shanley it feels like this kind of ended his career as a director but as a writer um as you said he he won the 88 academy award for for moonstruck for best screenplay and then he's gonna write a play uh, um in the early 2000s called doubt which is gonna win a pulitzer and a tony award for best play um and so there's like his career arc is you know huge hit and and future huge hit and then this feels according to critical response and popular acclaim like a a misfire Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan were both going to have huge career moments before and after so it's just kind of sits in an odd place uh, yeah this and film.
1: doubt doesn't come until a decade later or yeah 3 decades later you know it's like he had something at the beginning and then spent a lot of time brooding on it before he made something great
0: <laughs> I mean I'm I'm looking at it, it he's written 23 plays so that's a uh, yeah that's a career. <laughs> uh, and let's see. I'm seeing if he's done any other screenplays. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for Congo based on the Michael Crichton novel. Didn't see that one coming uh, in there. Uh mm-hmm so yeah interesting careers uh you mentioned something that doesn't quite work we'll talk about that a little more after we do the plot summary i guess for that so let's just jump into some of the trivia about this like i noted it has a 61 percent rating on rotten tomatoes but roger ebert was a big fan and he praised its quote magnificent goofiness and so that hanks and ryan in particular inhabit the logic of this bizarre world and play by its rules and that's one thing that i think you you have to do is just fully accept that this is not our world. It's a very heightened, absurd reality. Um mm-hmm. and in some ways it gets more absurd as it goes along, which does land with that unfortunate, you know, um <laughs> portray of Polynesian culture near the end that doesn't quite work where it's just getting more and more absurd. And then also I think maybe a moment that loses some of the audience is the is the big finale. And uh we'll we'll talk to that about that in just a minute. Uh <laughs> it earned thirty-nine million dollars at the domestic box office. Um But in Googling it, I did see someone uh, write an article defending this as the best flop movie ever. Uh, And that was in a 2000 article, uh, 2008 article that was published on the the Huffington Post. So, you know, some it does have its defenders.
1: The people who like it are passionate about it.
0: Yes. (laughs) And in 2012, a theater in San Diego premiered a musical based on this film. And that had to be an odd beast, I have to say. Um, it, it's one of those where I could see it completely working or just going off the rails very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And you threw in a little bit of trivia about the vote. There, there's a uh, like some Easter eggs of some of the later production designer here at the very beginning in, in the factory. Is that right?
1: One of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie is the... Uh, at the end, they're on the island, and they're telling the story of uh, the big Wu, and they have personified the Wu with this mask, and it kind of looks a little bit like a monkey. And that mask also appears at the very beginning of the movie is the facade of the factory. So there's this balance here between the factory and the volcano. And... um taking the leap and uh, it's a common theme that that uh, reoccurs throughout the movies why not take the leap
0: yeah and also what is um, is, is sucking the life out of these people <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah
1: uh, I'm losing it, my soul
0: it, mm-hmm literally uh, th- there's monologues on both ends uh about that. I think it's something to dig into after maybe we walk through the plot of this. So yeah, I, I I like that connection. Let's make sure we we circle back to that. Well before we do this plot summary listeners, we wanna thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming lately that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now on to the spoiler summary. And I do want to acknowledge that the tone and um, visual. Uh, visual elements that are really huge to what makes, for me at least, this story work. It's the kind of heightened reality that is starting to feel a little Tim Burton esque. Uh, especially at the beginning, it feels a little um, like there's lots of uh, harsh angles and uh, points of view that that are just askew enough that you feel a little off centered as you're as you're being introduced uh, to this world. So during this this plot summary, just think a little more um, broad than just a straight uh, following of the story. So, Joe works at a soul-crushing, dead-end corporate-slash-factory job, and he suffers from many ailments. After visiting a doctor, he's told that he is suffering from a terminal brain cloud, but that none of his symptoms are actually related to that brain cloud. He should actually feel fine, just die soon. (laughs) Uh, Knowing that he only has a limited time to live, Joe dramatically quits his job he also asks his co-worker Dee out on a date Dee notices that there's a big change in joe uh, but when he reveals that he is dying soon she calls off the date that's that's a little too much to throw on a first date uh a rich biz- business tycoon named samuel granimore or granimore finds joe and offers him a deal he says there is an island Uh, with a volcano on it that is home to a mineral that he needs for superconductors that he produces. The Waponi people who live on the island will not give him rights to the minerals. However, they have a legend about the volcano that if every 100 years someone does not willingly throw themselves into the volcano, it will erupt. It's been 99 years since someone did that. If Joe will go willingly throw himself into the volcano in 20 days, Samuel will give him a blank check to live the most luxurious life he can imagine until then. Joe doesn't have anything else going on. So he agrees to this plan. The next day he orders a limo to drive him around the driver. Uh, driver, Marshall, becomes something of a guide for him. He purchases clothes, gets a haircut and fancy waterproof luggage. He flies to L.A. where Angelica, the daughter daughter of Samuel Grainemore, meets him at the airport. Angelica is an obnoxious uh, flipperty gibbet. Joe tries to coach her to do something that scares her, but she doesn't want his advice. Uh, she offers to come up to his hotel room that night, but Joe refuses. The next day, Joe goes to Grainemore's yacht, the captain of which is Angelica's half-sister, Patricia. Joe and Patricia initially have a stilted interaction, but she uh, she doesn't because she doesn't trust her father or anyone that has been hired to work for him. But they start to get along better after he tells her that he's ill and what his plan is. A typhoon hits and wrecks the boat. It sinks entirely. Joe gets an unconscious Patricia onto a floating piece of fine waterproof luggage. Uh, Remember when he was, uh, Going around uh with Marshall, uh he purchased clothes, got a haircut, and brought bought this fancy waterproof luggage uh that is what is going to save his life at this point uh so he throws Patricia up onto there uh and she is unconscious, and there's a montage of Joe trying to keep her alive and entertain himself on the raft. Uh, this is well before Tom Hanks would do this getting cast away. It's just a very very different feeling. <laughs> Than cast away but there is some crossover uh and in a dehydrated delirium joe thanks god for his life eventually they drift to the island that joe was trying to reach the Walpony people have heard about joe coming to throw himself into the volcano for them and when he says his name they throw a huge feast for him as joe heads to the volcano patricia tries to stop him and tells him that she is in love with him he says he loves her too but the timing stinks Patricia gets the chief of the Waponis to marry them. Patricia says she will stay with her husband and goes to the volcano with him. He tries to get her to leave him, but she insists they need to jump in together she trusts that some miracle will save them they jump in and the volcano erupts blowing them out to the ocean they land near the floating luggage raft and climb on joe reminds patricia about his fatal brain fog she asks about the doctor and when he says the name she recognizes that name as one of her father's cronies you know like it's her father's doctor but the doctor doesn't take any other patients so uh she realizes everything was a setup for joe to go to the island Uh, where there's a volcano that is now erupting and destroying the island and the people that live on it. That's not really dealt with. Uh, Now that Joe is not dying, uh, they can survive together, and we get an end credit uh, scroll of text across the screen saying, and they lived happily ever after. The end. And I should note, I I forgot to put it in there, but at the beginning it does also say, once upon a time. So this is very much supposed to be like a fairy tale.
1: It's definitely a fairy tale.
0: Yeah, we are not supposed to take this as... uh, um, you know having any verisimilitude at all um as we as we go into it uh so merlin maybe let's get out of the way the nit to pick that we kind of oh you already mentioned the, the waponi people it's not a great representation it is stereotypical and problematically so uh and then also the fact that they get it there, there's no acknowledgement that they're all dying <laughs> feels they, like a all dying,
1: we just don't <laughs> ever think about that ever again
0: yeah. Um, and the the film is so broad, like I wouldn't have mind if they'd shown like the Waponi tribes like on sailboats, like even luxury like yachts just just sailing off. That would have been fine to see in the distance that they they look over and spot that. It just would have wrapped that up in a little more satisfying way for me. Um, yeah, well, I, but that's- I
1: like to think of the metaphor of the volcano and what does it mean and where what is the uh, author trying to portray to us? You know, if the metaphor of the volcano is, you know, jumping into the thing that you're scared of. um, The the Volcanus Ex Machina doesn't always blow (laughs) you out, you know, at the end.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I guess the other nitpick is maybe this finale where they they jump down, are floating towards the, the magma. Uh, mm-hmm. within the volcano and then there's this jet of steam that they ride off into the ocean like this has already been a very heightened reality that we're existing in but that just still feels like another leap for the grand finale uh, yeah i mean it's <laughs> no, okay. it's
1: not supposed to be realistic you know mm-hmm. the, uh, that's nothing not how, has been that's not how a volcano would f- swallow an island into the ocean and that's mm-hmm. not how any like any of them only the guys who got shot out of the volcano would survive like there's a lot of things in there that uh uh are unrealistic but the metaphor is that you're going to have to leave some things behind.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I and I I think it kind of works but also I can understand why for some audiences like that finale just it's un- is... it,
1: it's unsatisfying.
0: Uh yeah, it's it, it's just a little uh so so unbelievable in terms of their survival and also so callous <laughs> towards the waponi people that it, it it just doesn't quite all tie together even if there is a nice little discussion as they're floating there like once they're in the ocean i'm kind of fine with everything that happens it's this whole process of getting them there that yeah uh you know i i understand at least that that criticism but on the whole there's a lot to love in this movie
1: there's a lot there's so much good stuff in it every minute there's something new there that's that's just delightful,
0: um since it's something that you already mentioned, I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of like the factory and the volcano and how those are linked. It was making me think about uh the German expressionist silent film uh, Metropolis, Fritz Lang's early sci-fi film masterpiece, yeah, that ha- has a sequence where um this upper crust elitist person is going down into the factories that his family owns and he sees the workers marching in and he sees that they have become like so dehumanized and just part of this machinery. And there's an explosion that blows a lot of the workers around and kills, kills several of them. And he has a vision of the factory itself becoming a, an ancient god i think they call it moloch in the film that human sacrifices are being made to That they're they're just marching these human sacrifices essentially into a volcano is kind of what, what he sees with moloch but, uh but but that's actually the factory like he sees the explosion and he has this vision that his family has been essentially sacrificing these people's lives um, to a god in this case industry and factory and and uh, commerce uh and i think that's a one of the parallels that's being drawn in this film as well
1: it definitely is an
0: inspiration for John Patrick Shanley, um, and it it definitely works in that kind of postmodern, hyper self aware uh, audiences in on the joke monologues that Tom Hanks gives, and he's very good at giving those monologues uh, in, in in this film. Uh, so I, I, it was something that I really enjoyed seeing that they they did like circle back to this idea um, of. Of what it is that we're sacrificing ourselves to or that is pulling uh our life away from us. That's forcing us to avoid living our lives. Yeah. Um, in the instance of work and the the drudgery and droning nature of the factory work, uh, you know, into this hyperbolic and large, again, larger than life version of of actual literal human sacrifice that the film ends with.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh the 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 hero's journey I mean Tom Hanks you know as Joe Banks portrays this you know quintessential hero's journey from being in something terrible and finding your way out of it and going on an adventure and equipping yourself with the tools and um, people helping you along the way and then making the leap to decide how it all ends and then the uh, the deus ex machina
0: (laughs) yeah definitely days ex machina uh yeah it, it, it is definitely a hero's journey uh tale that we have and you you can find uh you know what is his call to adventure uh mm-hmm. what what are the thresholds that he has to pass at various points who are the yeah. who are the helpers um i do want to give a shout out in terms uh of the helpers too i believe it was marshall was that the name of the limo driver limo drivers marshall uh just that performance uh i i should double check who the actor is that played uh Played Marshall because I really oh, enjoyed yeah, his performance. Definitely deserves a shout out. Uh, just a second. I've i I've uh, got Joe versus Volcano being pulled up right here. Cast. Let's see. Marshall was Ossie Davis. Well done, Ossie Davis in this film. Um, yeah. And I, I think that there's with within that framework of the hero's journey, we're getting a version of it that is absurdist. Uh, But it's the kind of absurdism that is very much trying to make us kind of hyper aware that we're living an absurdism that we call our daily lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh,
0: That, you know, we we see this version and it's just so broad. It's like, you know, it's uh, comical, you know, it's it's deliberately so.
1: Literally the home of the rectal probe.
0: (laughs) The the factory that he works in. Yeah. Yeah. but it's, it's supposed to ideally have you say, you know, what is my actual job? <laughs> Do I get a right. joy out of that? Or am I trudging in and just a cog in this machine that is so I, like when, when Tom Hanks has, does his, his monologue about, about the fluorescent lights and the walls and the, the paint color and everything. Oh. Uh, you know, it's just soul crushing. Uh, and, And yeah, everything is heightened and turned up to 11 in this version of the reality. And it feels, uh, you know, like I said, kind of Tim Burton-esque in terms of the cinematography and the set design. Uh, But he's talking about, like, how many of you have jobs that you just kind of trudge your way through? Because that's what we've decided is our daily life.
1: Yeah, I'm not arguing that with you. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, he has definitely one of the greatest quitting scenes of all time. You know, he almost just walks out and turns and says, I, sh- I should say something. And it um, just gives this great speech of, you know, I can't believe I dedicated so much time of my life to you for three hundred dollars a week.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great way. I mean, it's up there with networks. Uh, I'm mad as hell. I'm not taking it anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> <It's>... Right. <laughs> Though this one does not have, I think, the. The cultural cachet of that one but it should i think more people need to know about that that quitting scene because it is fantastic
1: yeah and dan Hiday is one of the greatest you know just terrible bosses
0: <laughs> as soon as i heard his voice i'm like that that's uh that's carla's ex-husband <laughs> from tears <laughs> <laughs> And here he's still playing like this, this barely above a Neanderthal man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his, yeah. His, uh, when he gets to play it, I, I think a lot of his comedy roles, uh, that, that he was given.
1: I love that he, um, I, I love that his fidget toys, artificial prototype testicles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everything about that factory is just so depressing, oh, so dreary. Yeah. But so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. and, and Again, I I knew this film more for its reputation as a flop, and I was watching this uh, opening and and I was thinking to myself like everything here is working. At what point is this going to fall apart?
1: <laughs> and it um, kind of does. I, at the I, end. Yeah,
0: I I mean I was kind of on guard for it though to to not enjoy it because of its reputation or at least like have to feel like I had to defend it more. And I don't like it is good. It, it's a good movie. I'm not, I'm not trying to qualify it uh, with the the yeah, but. Um, uh, and there are definitely good movies that have flaws and we, we, we pointed out some of those flaws in this one and we don't have to go rehash those. Um, and I, I, in talking about this monologue that Tom Hanks gives, I do want to recognize the acting that he gives us and then also circle over uh, or, or jump over and, and talk about Meg Ryan's acting uh, for a moment. Cause he looks like a different version of Tom Hanks when he is working in this factory. Um, the way he holds his body, the way he speaks his lines, uh, so many of his choices are just this frail, sickly, depressed version Yeah, of, uh, you know, uh, of, and one of the most recognizable actors you know, like Tom Hanks it, it, to, to a degree, it's hard to not know you're watching Tom Hanks when you see Tom Hanks performance. Like he is not one of those chameleon actors that just disappears into roles. Um, But we are definitely getting different versions of Tom Hanks in this film as as it moves along from this downtrodden, awful version that you just pity, right? Like, that's that's all you can feel is just just pity for him at the beginning to the kind of befuddled one as he's trying to figure things out to the um, the version that is starting to take or be agentive starting to take control of his life, uh, you know, throughout. So, so we do see these different stages and it is just um, an opportunity for Tom Hanks to, to play different levels of the same role. um, And he hits it out of the park.
1: He does hit it out of the park. He's, he plays, he starts off as this guy who just has a really lousy job and he hates it. And then he's, called on to, to an adventure and he has to go on and do something that that uh he has to take the heroic lead
0: mm-hmm. and and it's got uh you know the the moments uh you know in the abyss when when the ship uh you know sinks and he has to like he has to rise to the occasion like mm-hmm. he's going to save uh patricia he's going to sacrifice his own well-being for for hers at this point it is the baptism imagery that we get in the abyss because he's going to come out as a new person he has his uh you know somewhat uh hallucinating uh conversation with god (laughs) um you know from from his dehydration and he's gonna come out as a different person uh and you know it's it's checking all those boxes that make for uh you know the classically satisfying character arc that we want to see
1: in, in every moment, it's the moment you think it's almost over, where the moment where he's going to die, that, you know, something comes in and
0: saves the day. No. Yeah, he is playing a character that's just constantly teetering on edges.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, just as soon as he thinks he's about to, you know, die and give his life up to God, he wakes up and he just happens to be at the, at the island where he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of those in there where he's just, just
0: on the edge of survival. Yeah, um, so that's Tom Hanks' Joe. What do you want to say about Meg Ryan and the three different roles that she plays in this movie?
1: Well, you know, it's that's the one um, gimmick of this movie that I'm sure is hard for a lot of people to accept is why do you need uh, Meg Ryan to play three different roles? And these roles are very different. You've got the, you know, uh, Staten Island Italian girl And then you have these two half-sisters. One is a redhead gibbet, and the other is a a blonde um, captain of her own ship. And uh, Angelica is, you know, a gibbet and, you know, trying to do whatever she can to make Joe feel good.
0: Just but, for the listeners, we keep saying Flipperty Gibbet because that's how she describes herself. Exactly. Uh, I think more than once in the film, <laughs> she says it. And it's one of those of words once you hear that as a description for a character, it's really going to stick in your head.
1: Right. And the costuming on her is
0: just spectacular. Um, So she's a brunette in her first role and Mm -hmm. then redhead. Uh, So Dee Dee is, as you said, like the brunette that works at the office and is kind of downtrodden, not quite as much as Joe, but still feeling, uh, you know, like life isn't the greatest. And then Angelica is the redhead who is kind of like the spoiled rich kid. Right. And, you know, just kind of floating through, not feeling a whole lot of purpose. And then Patricia is the uh you know Meg Ryan as we, the most Meg Ryan as we know her you know blonde right. hair um in control agentive about what she's doing with her life not um you know not being acted upon right uh, she's not whereas playing the other a one's character, feel like- she's
1: just kind of being a person mhm and um i think it's interesting the way uh joe interacts with these three characters um that you know Meg Ryan is could be more the star of the movie because she goes through an act, actual changes more changes than the than Tom Hanks does. Tom Hanks Joe is just a hero the whole way whereas
0: well I, yeah he goes from the, like the sickly to the uh like self-possessed, right? The Right. So but, so there's a transformation there within himself. But Meg Ryan is actually playing different characters.
1: Yeah, and he, Joe notices that uh Dee can Dee notices change in Joe, but refuses to change herself. Mm-hmm. Angelica re- recognizes that she needs to change, but in the end probably doesn't. Um, yeah. And Patricia definitely has an arc that goes from being sour to being in love with this man who is a hero. So there's these three characters and they all have different arcs in the way Joe interacts with them. Um he notices that they're kind of all a little bit different and should affect him likewise.
0: And there's enough difference in the voice that Meg Ryan gives each of them and the costuming that there is that half second of like, is that the same? <laughs> like, right. is that Meg Ryan in that in that one? Um like once once you know it, like you you definitely see it. But I think Meg Ryan does a really good job of playing three very different characters.
1: Yeah. She totally she totally knocks it out of the park,
0: and I I'd never seen Meg Ryan play a character like Dee Dee uh, or Angelica really or like it, yeah. it's so broad, but she stays consistent with the voice choices that she's making. Uh, she humanizes them because if you are doing a really broad accent and changing like the tone of your voice, which she does for each of these characters, I think it's possible for that to become parody and lampooning and not be a real character. But I I really do think she gives you an emotional grounding. For Dee Dee and Angelica,
1: she does. They they, they do tend to be more of caricatures mm-hmm. than than actual characters. You know, just these you know Staten Island Italian girl and the uh, Hollywood flibbertigibbet. <laughs> um, but uh, Patricia is where you know we finally see some see some char- character character.
0: Um. So we we've talked a little about both the leads and and the roles they play in terms of the style of the film. We we've, we've mentioned the you know the set design and stuff. I do also want to give a shout out to the montages, uh, which I am generally a fan of montages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some people who who are not, and so that may be another dividing line. These montages all work for me. Great song choices, great bits by Tom Hanks. This is where, uh, you know, Tom Hanks is this beloved actor. uh, But I think we sometimes forget like his sitcom start and and his his comedy start. Like he gets to do some bits in these that are just kind of sitcom comedy comedy, and he is nailing it. Yeah,
1: yeah. The the music, you know, I I I'm not surprised that it was turned into a musical because there's some really great musical sequences. You've got the 16 tons at the beginning of the movie. Um, the old man river.
0: And that's the the opening of the fact like this is the long, slow walk as we're being introduced into this world. Uh, and it is these kind of almost faceless workers, just the drudgery of their entrance into work. And you can tell this is killing right them he's, <laughs> to go work at this He's factory. a man
1: who has a very lousy job and Every step he takes, he lose a little bit more of his soul. And at the end of the day, he's just three hundred dollars closer to owing his soul to the company store. It's they all all these themes work together really well.
0: Yeah. And I mentioned uh, like a lot of these montages. I love the comedy in them. This one's simultaneously like it's very dark comedy. Yeah. <laughs> That's here where, where it's like uh, the kind of comedy well like if you see like a giant glass plane uh pane being carried across the street during a chase and you know it's going to be broken In this instance there's like this one bright flower that all these shuffling fleet are feet are uh passing by and you're just waiting for someone to crush it and then it finally right by happen.
1: the by the beautiful uh, foot of the high-heeled shoe woman um mm-hmm. the you know they definitely take the old shakespearean version of comedy where you have to start off with everybody sad, and it will end with a happy ending.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely our arc. Is is we're we're not uh, starting with a you know uh, in a neutral right. place. We're starting yes. in the depths of hell, and and uh, it's sort of a rise out of the depths of hell, but it's more of a, like a a rise and then fall back into the depths of hell. But then you get ejected by the steam <laughs> of hell. <laughs> and it <laughs> you, you didn't land safely in the ocean. <laughs> yeah.
1: Other musical sequences that I really loved were the Old Man River scene after he gets his diagnosis. There's a beautiful scene just one long shot where, you know, he's confronted with his emotions and he hugs the he hugs the dog and the woman to the sound of the Old Man River just keeps rolling along. Um uh, one of my other favorite scenes is the Street Where You Live by uh, the uh, mariachi band.
0: Mm, yes. Yeah, the
1: a Spanish version of Street Where You Live that I have looked high and low for a version of that I, I just have not been able to find. I want to put that on my playlist.
0: <laughs> well, I, I saw when I was looking up trivia that there was a limited... Ad- like print run of the soundtrack released when the film came out of only 3000 copies of the, of the soundtrack were released. So it may have I don't been on think there. it is. And it's just, but, um, um well, I you, know th- it'd be really hard to track down right, if it was. Right. Still. I think I've, I
1: remember seeing the track <laughs> listing for it and it's not even on there. Um, oh. uh, but the, uh, the title or not the, the made the, what's the, the song the, the original song that was written for this movie is, uh, marooned. Why am I marooned without you? This idea of being alone, on, stranded on a desert island, without someone—the um, uh, the theme of being alone is constantly recurring. Um, Joe, at the beginning, you know, he says sometimes there are some doors you have to go through alone. Um, when Dee Dee tries to leave him. He says, "Please, please, I, I don't want to be alone right now." But she leaves him anyway. With Angelica, he he has an opportunity to not be alone and turns it down. And then with Patricia, he he gets to be with her.
0: Yeah, it's um, kind of like how I, I I noted earlier that this is a character that's like teetering on the edge. Uh, like it's he's teetering on the edge of life and death, at least in his from what he knows. Uh, mm-hmm. throughout uh the film, but he's also teetering on these these lines between loneliness and connection. And if he had chosen mm-hmm. any of those early connections, it wouldn't have been right for like he 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 really did need to go on this journey to be a better version of himself to be ready for the connection that he finally does make with uh Patricia's last one, right? Am I getting I don't want to say the wrong Meg Ryan character this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I just I just keep imagining Joe in the water trying mm-hmm. to save Patricia.
0: Patricia, Patricia.
1: That's how I remember the difference uh, between the and two of them.
0: I think he and DD and uh he and Angelica they could have been happy for moments, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have felt right for what we know of the characters and where they're at. Um, eh. Right. If, 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 uh, Samuel
1: Granamore doesn't knock on his door the next day. Um, does he get together with Dee Dee eventually? And maybe, maybe not. Um, but that's why he's the MacGuffin. He just changes
0: the, the, uh, the it's a very the interesting plot. MacGuffin in that the MacGuffin is kind of his own death, right? He's he th- that's what sets him on this journey is, is well the
1: uh, Samuel Grannamore, I I think you know the moment you know he opens the blinds and sees that face with the cane and the top hat, you're like, okay, that's the MacGuffin and he's here to send him on a journey. Well, see, uh, yeah, I'm seeing and him as
0: the Herald. That's, that's, uh, you know, giving him the call to adventure.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but he's also behind the scenes, uh, spoiler alert, you know, um, wow, we identifying, <laughs> yeah, the reason, the reason why he thinks he's dying. Mm hmm he put the lie into place that made him believe this. And so this whole thing comes from him. Yeah. I mean, different, yeah. Different terms for different, uh, Mm -hmm. stories.
0: Yeah. I, I think we're on the, on the same page there. Uh, and the, the resolution though, it's not, it's not Joe. I'm trying to, how do I, how do I want to put this? It's not Joe like living. It's Joe, realizing that he can, that, that he has a life to live. Like, does that make sense? There's a difference. It's not that he survives the volcano, right? That like, it, it's right. the, uh, it, it's the epiphany, you know, that he has about, like, I wasn't actually sick. And, and that is both the brain fog. And also like my, like at the very beginning, he's like, I've got these swollen lymph nodes and my neck is mm-hmm. always sore. And I just feel, feel drained. Uh, like all that was in his head. Cause he was, Living this drudgery of a life, uh, right. and, and and the choice to live his life is is where there is a, a resolution or or um you know a rebirth uh, of Joe. And we see like the, this version of him being reborn during the city montage, where he gets new clothes and he gets a new haircut. But that's like a facade that he's starting to wear. Um, he he's not yet really transformed.
1: He's coming into focus, kid.
0: yes but it but it's all um like that still feels external and the the joe that comes out of the water at the end and is getting patricia and is talking about his life with patricia now like that's 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 that's, we're fully into a new version of joe
1: yeah but at the same time he still he still has this and one of my favorite lines and one of my dad's favorite lines from this movie was it's always going to be something with you isn't it joe (laughs)
0: I mean there's been a lot of somethings in this world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I mean but like no matter what I, happens I there's mean, always going to be
1: something that you're going to look down on this, like isn't there? Like yeah. Okay. All right, I see how it is. Right. I, now I understand how to deal with you. <laughs>
0: uh, but but to Joe, in Joe's defense, um, you know, there there has been a lot that has been heaped upon him.
1: <laughs> in this Sure. But now that he's it's, taken the leap and mm-hmm. you know, he quit his job you know but yeah. he doesn't have a brain fog should he brain cloud should he go back to his job absolutely not you know so he realizes that there's yeah okay i i have to i have to remember that i'm just a hypochondriac and <gasps> um everything's going to be weird but i'm probably okay you know um and uh patricia's there to help remind him of that
0: yeah and it <sighs> Again, like the the, the, these actors in these roles, I think this movie could have really failed without the chemistry that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan just really have. We're like, you you want you want to see them happy (laughs) at the end. Uh, They're both just so good in these roles. And going back to that, that Roger Ebert quote, like they inhabit the rules of this absurd world. So well that it makes everything kind of click right. Um, and we're gonna see them inhabit more uh classic romantic comedy. In yeah, it's kind of the heightened world of of romantic comedies, but you know, it's it's still our world in Sleepless in Seattle, and uh, and you've got male, and they're gonna be great in those roles too, and they're gonna inhabit those roles in that world, and they're gonna sell those worlds perfectly, uh, there. And it's just a delight to see these actors playing this broader farcical version and still, still just nailing everything, giving us exactly, I mean, exactly what the director had to be wanting from that, uh, you know, from their performances.
1: Right. They both just knock it out of the park
0: and don't get enough credit for it. hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to make sure we touch on uh, with this with this film?
1: Um, one of my. You know, I I keep coming back to this idea of, you know, taking the leap, Um, but one of my favorite moments is, you know, with Angelica, you know, long ago, (laughs) the delicate tangles of his hair covered the emptiness of my hands, and she goes straight from that into, did you ever think about killing yourself? it's like wow that came out of nowhere but secretly the answer is yes I'm about to as a matter of fact I'm going to go kill myself in this <laughs> in this <laughs> volcano um, And but he talks her out of it you know why not take the leap um, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, losing, losing our soul to this thing that uh, <laughs> I, I love this idea of this little thing shaped out of a coconut that a Vagoda calls his soul. And he says, I hope you don't lose it. You know, like just these really nice, these really nice comedic moments.
0: Yeah. And there's lots of different kinds of comedy. Um, So like there's the comedy that is found in editing with all these montages. Like when Tom Hanks is being prepared for his sacrifice, there's some really broad, uh, like Looney Tunes level comedy of what's going on with him. And, it does definitely elicit a chuckle, but then there's the comedy that can come from just the perfectly delivered line, uh, you know, which is very different than the comedy found in editing. And you know, when you have really good comedic actors, uh, they're going to find those moments and give them to you. And, and they definitely do. They all do. Um, and I think like, if you're going to try and encapsulate uh, it in, in a quick summation, like what is the theme of this movie? What would you say it is?
1: well you have an, the Everyman joe you know leaves uh, it's a fairy tale about a guy who had a very lousy job and he takes these three heroic leaps the the first you know the first one is before the show starts he runs up this runs up the uh the building the, the he runs into the burning building to save the kids you know
0: Oh right, I, I guess uh, we're told we, we don't see it in the film, but uh, but uh, we find out that, that Joe was a fireman before and and had these moments of incredible valor uh, in his history, uh, which is one reason why uh, the Samuel character Blake, believes he'd be willing to go throw himself off of volcano uh, is because he's he, you know he's seen a fearlessness uh, in in the reports of Joe, right?
1: And th- I mean, on top of the. Uh the very problematic uh waponies another reason why this movie couldn't get made today is because you, they would just say oh that's ptsd I go oh okay and let's move on let's find a way to treat it you know and <laughs> <laughs> but in 1989 you know we're like yeah you're crazy like you've got some really crazy things going on inside your head we don't know how to deal with it let's mm-hmm. call it a brain cloud so we can get you to <laughs> sacrifice your life so i can have these mineral rights um uh so the first one is him running up the running into the burning building the second one is him leaving his job and the third one is jumping into the volcano and uh that's what a hero does is he goes he does the hard things um he's a hero he he's the hero that you want to be because you want to john patrick shanley's trying to tell you to take the leap Whatever it is, it's it's different in everybody's life, and that's what everybody's volcano is different.
0: And another heroic moment that I really liked is um, as a moment of like revelation about who Joe is uh, when he gets Patricia onto this raft of of his luxury luggage, um, and they're they're floating along. She's unconscious for days, and he has one bottle of water, and he keeps keeps giving her. Drops a, like like a a, a capful mm-hmm. of the water from from the water uh, water bottle, and then eventually like he gets so dehydrated he passes out, passes out, and then she wakes up and we we hear her saying, "Joe, did you ever give yourself any of this water?" And she's pouring some water into his lips, and in this dehydrated fog he just like leaves up he's like that's for you <laughs> like don't give me the water you need it so you can survive uh, so so in like identifying his, his heroism and his selflessness yes it's uh, his role as a firefighter but we, we do see it played out quite literally um in, in the time in this montage of them floating on the, the luggage and
1: together even, even the, the flower that got stepped on makes a reoccurrence when Joe comes back and helps restore it Joe's constantly
0: helping you know
1: he's mm-hmm. the guy you wanna be,
0: yeah, and even like in his in his job that he hates uh like he he's getting chewed out early on by his boss. Because the boss is like, well, what? Joe's like, we're, we've run out of the catalogs. So I'm supposed to be like doing an insert in the catalog. I can't <laughs> remember exactly what it is, but but we're out. And the boss is like, well, why didn't you tell me? He's like, well, I told you three weeks ago, and I told you two weeks ago. And the boss is like, well, did you tell me this week? And <laughs> Joe's like, well, I already told, I told you three twice weeks ago. I told you two why do I need to tell you again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, like he hates his job, but he's actually like doing his job. <laughs> like he is still uh, like living up to the the, the yeah. contract that that has been made. And, uh, when the boss is like, well, eh, in, in terms of like, why didn't Joe go do it himself? He's like, you told me I cannot order it. You have to, that is why I've told you twice that you do. Like I'm following the instructions that you Not gave. nearly good enough. Uh, Joe. And, and, uh, so it's, uh, you know, he's, he's not lazy at any point in this, in, in his character's journey, he's beaten down and he's, uh, he's broken uh it, it initially but uh it doesn't become like he's a corrupt or lazy worker or anything like that at all
1: one thing i did notice this time around watching the movie is that we don't ever actually see him work
0: <laughs> like we, we're, we're told but yeah but by the time we're getting to that day like they're out of catalogs for him to do his job with
1: right i mean we talk we we talk about things that he needs in order to be able to do his job we talk about um We see interactions with his boss and his other co-workers, coworkers, which is obviously part of work, but we never actually see him do the work. We see him get coffee. We see him put up his his uh, lamp. We see him uh, complain about, you know, all the things he he leaves work for three hours to go to lunch. Um, But we never actually see him work, but. Mostly because it's a very lousy job. Nobody wants to do it. He just p- punches in and punches out. That's what he does.
0: Yes. Uh, you know, but still, like if he had his his catalogs, he'd be he'd be doing his job with the catalogs.
1: <laughs> he can do his job. Yeah. He just needs, you know,
0: he needs to actually have the materials to, to do his yeah, job. Yeah. It makes it really hard to do your work when your boss hasn't actually, uh, you know, given you the supplies necessary.
1: I'm an advertising librarian for a medical supply company. I have no response to that.
0: (laughs) Well, Merlin, do you have any final thoughts on Joe versus the Volcano before we wrap up?
1: I have one question for you. Yeah. And I was wondering how many times you felt yourself every time they mentioned the word Joe.
0: (laughs) i mean it is uh, it's not quite to the level of jack in terms of commonly used names for male protagonists but it's not super uncommon so uh it, it i didn't catch on it um you know too much uh i i definitely you know there's still like that little register of like my name my name my name and they do say it a lot <laughs> uh in this but it it wasn't like you know uh, i i think if i had a less commonly used name i, I would have caught on it more yeah um, Merlin you are a first time guest and we always ask our first time guest the dinner guest question we celebrate great characters and great stories on this podcast so if you could have a dinner party with you know a handful of fictional characters who would you want to hang out with for an evening
1: a handful of fictional characters well in this movie I kind of want to see Angelica Patricia and Samuel <laughs> you know in the same room together
0: oh that would be a mess <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. I want to see like I want them they they have a lot of problems and they need to sit and figure it out. <laughs> um uh you know, my my top 3 movies are Back to the Future, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um so, you know, those are those are some pretty good uh you know, Marty McFly and uh Ferris Bueller, obviously. <laughs> and Indiana Jones. And um, I'm going to throw in uh, James Bond because who doesn't want to be James Bond?
0: This is a very eclectic dinner party that you're having. And that's one of the joys <laughs> when we ask people this question uh, and trying to imagine this group of characters actually in the same space. Um, it gets messy pretty quick is, I guess, <laughs> the the takeaway I have. The, the flow of conversation would would be an uh hard to follow.
1: Yeah, but you know what? That's that's the adventure. <laughs>
0: Well, Merlin, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I'm really grateful uh, that you you reached out and asked if you could come talk about Joe versus the Volcano, uh, both because uh, it's always great to talk to you, but also I'm glad I have finally watched this movie. And uh, I'm going to.
1: And I'm glad to share it with more people.
0: I'm definitely going to be recommending this movie to a few people. It's like, you know, I I don't think you've ever seen this movie. You probably should go watch it. You really should. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice. That really helps us out. Uh or sorry, uh leave us a review. That's what helps us out. I mean, subscribing is great. I do appreciate when you subscribe and seeing uh you know how many downloads an episode gets does give me joy to know that there are people out there actually listening as we throw these out there. But leaving us a review that helps us out. And also, uh if you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com/protagonist uh, to to help us out financially. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or also Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at J. Jorowski. And Our producer, Andrew, is at disminute, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast and also the Dueling Genre Podcast Network has a Discord channel where you can chat with all of the Dueling Genre Podcast hosts uh, about their episodes. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So... coming with that uh let's see you were talking about the three great leaps you mentioned that you were saying the first one the was, first one here, the andrew, first one let's is be before he gets there. On. Let, let's give andrew a quick edit point <laughs> uh <laughs> and all right go ahead and pick up your thread about the the leaps